Samir, welcome. Thanks, man. How's it going? It's going well. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'll start by giving a little bit of background on me, on Samir, um, and a little bit on AI in general, just broader picture stuff, and then we'll jump into it. Sounds good. Um, so I'm a director of product and AI engineering at Real Chemistry. Uh, my team develops all sorts of algorithms, but then puts them into actual products that impact um, the healthcare industry. We have multiple startups within Real Chemistry. One is IPM.ai that identifies undiagnosed or misdiagnosed patients. We have Conversation Health, which is a conversational AI chatbot that helps uh, healthcare professionals get to the right answers. Uh, we have Swoop and TI Health, which we recently acquired that help with targeting. It's a whole bunch of really exciting stuff. And um, Real Chemistry as a broader org brings data and AI and ideas um, to healthcare companies such as our client, uh, AbbVie. So um, that's a little bit about me. I want to talk a bit about you, Samir, first. As a, an employee of AbbVie, I do want to say that, put this on the record, you're here under your own professional capacity as a healthcare leader. All viewpoints are yours. Um, they're not AbbVie's. Uh, and that's the same for me uh, on this mm -hmm. podcast, at least. So, yeah. um, Samir, you're a commercial healthcare leader with over a decade of experience in the pharmaceutical industry. You've launched multiple drugs um, from cardiovascular to gastro, psychiatry, and currently neuroscience. Uh, before joining, joining the pharmaceutical industry, you were a tech consultant mm -hmm. and you worked as a biomedical flight controller. Yep. Um, before we jump into generative AI, I know you love aviation. You're an av avid aviator. You still do? I do, yeah. I still um, so how did that start? And yeah, how, how does that impact your day to day? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. Um, first, thanks for uh, inviting me to yeah. be here on the podcast and, and have a conversation about generative AI. Um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've flown now, so my daughter is seven, so I've been flying for seven years. And uh, I, I got into flying. I was always really interested in flying for a long time, but never had the means or the time to do it until my wife was about five months pregnant. And so when she was five months pregnant, I said, this is a perfect time to get in a plane and learn how to fly because I'll never get the opportunity to do it again. And she thought I was crazy, but um, but it all worked out. And uh, I, I uh, am in a partnership with two other guys, and we own a plane. And uh, it's great. It's it's uh, it's like a time machine. So you can take it to get from here to Boston in like two, or well, here New Jersey to Boston in like two hours, um, versus like the six hour drive that it can be sometimes. And so it's been uh, it's been it's it's a humbling experience. And I enjoy it a lot because when you're up there at eight thousand, ten thousand feet, it's kind of very peaceful. And uh, it's kind of like my my wife calls it my yoga. And says that like, because you're so focused on one task, you don't have anything else coming at you. And so it's been uh, it's been a joy, honestly. Yeah, I, I play a lot of tennis, so a whole lot less exciting. But uh, <laughs> I get the same feeling. But you're like it. a professional tennis player, though, aren't you? Like you're you're very good. Let's let's focus on the generative AI stuff. <laughs> um, so before diving into generative AI too far, um, I want to just point out a few definitions of AI, machine learning, deep learning, just to get everyone kind of. A common understanding. Um, I can't cover everything, but AI overall is a very, very broad field um, that's very exciting. Uh, but it, combi it combines computer science, big data, mathematics, statistics um, to do predictive things. Um, so machine learning is that machine component of bringing that intelligence from statistics um, using historical data to predict things. Um, and so generative AI uses deep learning, a subfield of machine learning, 
Um, and it's based on large language models. Um, so they use a whole lot of language, a whole lot of data uh, to predict and generate new content. Uh, it learns from one sequence to produce another sequence. So sequence to sequence is what we refer to a lot. But it can be sequence to pixels, which then create pictures, or a sequence to uh, just one word or to something else. So it's that breaking language into components and then using historical data and trained models to produce an output. Um, ChatGPT, which we will talk about, is a form of generative AI. Um, there are others. DALI for images. Um, Microsoft's coming up with new stuff, and, and more new stuff will keep coming out. Um, GPT-4 will come out very, very soon. Tuesday, I think. Perhaps um, we'll see where, when Microsoft comes out with it. But uh, it's an exciting, exciting field, exciting moment. And I think I want to bring up why it's exciting today. I think it's that the general public for the first time is seeing and interacting with AI. And the outputs are very high quality outputs. And that's very exciting. Um, it's not a new field. So it's not like generative AI just dropped and it just works and, and people get excited. No, it's been around, it's been worked on for years, but the general public has access to it for the first time. And so do corporations. And I guess that's what we'll talk about here in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually used ChatGPT to try to come up with creative questions. And I'll say I didn't succeed or it didn't succeed. Um, so all the questions are mine. Uh, That's good because you work for also a creative agency, right? So you should right. so, creative we, So we still have a need for creative people to come up with creative questions. <laughs> um, I pushed it a little bit and I got a bunch of rhyming things that weren't very exciting. But you got words like pickle and nickel and it kept on rhyming and rhyming, but nothing creative that, that was any good. So... I guess the first question is, is the title of this podcast, Generative AI, oh God, what now? <laughs> so where, where are we today, Samir? Where, 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 where are we for you as a brand manager? Where do you think we're going? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fair question, right? And so you, you, you want to be careful to think of that. Is this a fad or is this something that's actually meaningful in the industry that we can leverage and be able to provide more value to patients or to our customers and HCPs? Um, you know, and I think that this is not a fad, right? I, I've had the, the privilege of attending a couple talks here at South by and just hearing kind of the ideas that are being generated. It's, it's really exciting, right? It's kind of like, uh, and I think um, the founder of OpenAI said this, uh, it's kind of like an, like an iPhone moment, right? In, in tech, in terms of what we're doing, like we're just at the precipice of what we can leverage today for generative AI and, and provide a lot of value for patients. So, you know, are we using it today in healthcare or in the pharmaceutical industry? I think we're dabbling. Um, at least from a from a marketing perspective, um, and I know that in like meta fairs and clinical trials and, and whatnot, there are AI models um, being leveraged in analytics, um, but it's not necessarily the generative AI models. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunity. And so I don't think this is a fad, and I think it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I strongly agree with that. I think it's the right way to do it too. I just explore, be excited about it, have fun with it, but don't just jump into it saying we're not doing generative AI and everything needs to be generative AI or everything needs to be AI. You need to solve business problems first. Mm -hmm. Your healthcare company that needs to serve its patients and, and healthcare providers, and that should be the first focus. Generative AI and AI as a whole can help there, but it's not a must um, all the time. And the way we look at it is how do we maximize learning? How do we make people smarter? in the first place? And then how do we identify some inefficiencies, some, some little things here and there within a process that can, can be improved with the help of AI and, and, and data? Um, 
So what do you think some of the, the limitations are of generative AI today? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of limitations, right? I think it's no secret right now in terms of these early AI, model, AI models that are out there is in terms of uh, accuracy, right? And so we've talked about that multiple times. And so for uh, a large manufacturer, you know, that's risky, right? If you have inaccuracy and accurate information, um, are you going to be able to share that with patients and clinicians? And, and those are things that need to be considered, um, especially in kind of a risk adverse environment that, that large manufacturers are, are part of. Um, and so that's that's one area that I think of. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think I think you're spot on. I think there's there is risk. It's super exciting, but there is massive risk. And so understanding the cost of being wrong is is a key component of what each brand needs to do. Um, so so besides just like broad generative AI and, and the limitations, where do you see the biggest risk for you as a pharmaceutical brand? Yeah, and so so talking about data inaccuracies, right? I think quality control is a big area um, that we need to be aware of. And so if we were asking uh, a generative AI model some questions and we have kind of garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out, yep. right? And so whenever we're building out these AI models to either help us from a, a process standpoint or help us from uh, a communication standpoint, we have to be concerned and, and, and thoughtful um, of what information is going into that model. And so, you know, today we've been uh, talking a lot about, you and I have talked a lot about equity also in terms of the data um, gathering that we are able to do in clinical trials and, and whatnot. And so as it's kind of, what, what I like about generative AI is that it takes structured data that we have and it also takes unstructured data. So when you look at like PowerPoints or whatnot, you gotta put all this information together as a database that we can leverage to be able to cull information and insights. But my point earlier is that you have garbage in and you're not, thoughtful of the approach of the demographics, the patient populations and what we're doing, you're going to get garbage out. And so that's something that we just need to be cognizant of as an industry. I think it's super important. Um, so biases exist in humans in the first place. Yeah. Um, biases exist in the data and biases exist in our models. And so there is a huge risk there in general. Um, and then there's other things with challenges with generative AI. I think there's, it lacks common sense. It's very good at a lot of stuff, but it lacks common sense. And I'll kind of give two examples, but if you, you learn to drive and you learn to drive here in Austin, Texas, or Louisville, Texas, or Oklahoma, and I dropped you off in New York, you'd still know how to drive. You may have to adapt to your environment. You may have to adapt to New Yorkers. Uh, they're a bit more aggressive. Pedestrians, you're going to honk that. Yes. Yeah. But you can, you, can, you can grab your skills that you've developed on, on the road here and plug them into a different environment in New York and do fairly well. AI cannot really do that today. It's, there's solutions to it. There's a lot of transfer learning. There's a, that's a process of, of AI that's being worked on, but really you'd need to learn to drive again in New York from scratch. And I think that's the big gap there. And so um, it, that, that has limitations. You need to train it on every possible situation, every possible um, types of patients, every possible new kind of part of the world, new environment, and that creates challenges in equity, especially. Yeah. Um, another component is, I guess, the math side. It's not super good at logic. <laughs> Sometimes it does well, but it often messes up pretty simple logical stuff. So I was playing around with some of it last night. Some quick math. You asked it, hey, look, if, you know, how many toes do five people have? Pretty straight answer of 50, roughly, right? Mm -hmm. And it struggles with it. Then I, if I do explain... And I say, look, people have 10 toes. 
So five, how many toes would five people have? You'd get 50. So it gets there, right? You need to kind yeah. of help it on the way there. But if I make it slightly more complex, I say that every other person has 11 toes. It gets so confused, right? And so you, <laughs> every time I add just a little bit of complexity that to us seems pretty straightforward, pretty common sense stuff, yeah. it gets lost. And again, it would need to get trained on a whole lot of examples of common sense stuff that they need, that it cannot transfer to that. That's a big limitation there mm -hmm. um, for chat GPT like technology. Yeah, no, that's fair. So you're saying it's kind of like my six year old or six or seven year old. And they just uh, kind of, yeah. it, it does certain, still young. It does certain things probably much better than your six year old. Okay. But there's a whole lot of things that it can't yeah. do that your six year old can do very, very well. I don't know. We'll talk about that after. <laughs> so well, talk, uh, one, one other thing I want to talk mm -hmm. about in terms of limitations real quick was um, ethical and legal considerations. Yeah. And so when we think about um, like we partner with Real Chemistry or, or other um, agency partners, let's, let's use an example like CRM. Right. And so we have patients that sign up on brand.com uh, and we want to uh, communicate with them and speak with them. Um, we work with agencies to help develop that content. Right. We, we pay for IP. We pay for the copy and for the ideas um, that are being generated. And then that is being communicated to patients. Uh, if we were to leverage a uh, ChatGPT tool or a generative AI tool, the question would be like, well, who gets who gets paid for that? Is that copyright infringement? Um, and so what's going to go on? Like, these are all questions I think that we've talked about here at South By and, and in general. Um, but those are real considerations that a, that a manufacturer needs to consider because, you know, as I said earlier, we're, we're a risk adverse company, right? There's a lot of... Um, eyeballs on, on Pharma, we want to make sure that we're able to be appropriately providing the right content and also paying the right people to be able to generate that content. Yeah, totally. I think that what's the cost of being wrong? And I think that's just a hard question right now and everything is new. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of lawsuits everywhere. I'm not going to discuss them, but yes, there are, there are legal implications. Um, and compliance is an important piece of picking a good vendor, picking a good partner, um, transparency, compliance, and then just a, a taught approach to the legal components of it. Yeah. So Samir, let's try to like project yourself in, in the future. Not too far, right? We're not going to 2050. We're like, we're <laughs> close enough. 2025, 2026. We're back here at South by Southwest and we're having a conversation about generative AI. Where do you think it has been applied in the healthcare world, in your world specifically? Yeah, I'm glad we can get the, the the boring risk stuff out of the way, right? And like focus on like the the pie in the sky, which I think is uh we talk a lot about in terms of like what are the great applications that we can do. And I think you know, there's it's it's limitless right now. I think we're just at the precipice of what we can do with it. And so I'll I'll provide a couple examples that I've been thinking about that are more you know, tangible um, in terms of like how I would want to uh, consider it for not for a brand, um, you know, at any pharmaceutical manufacturer. So you know when we think about pharmaceutical marketing, it's, you know, you're looking at HCP promotion, you're looking at DTC promotion, you're looking at payer promotion, you're looking at sales, right? We have like, you know, anywhere between 200 to 800 sales reps um, for a specific brand. And so, you know, when I think of creative um, development, you know, my job or my team's job is to develop a brief, right? We want to come up with an idea, give that brief to our, our agency partners and our agency partners are then going to kind of run with that and do tissue sessions and come up with a couple of creative ideas. How do you augment that with you know generative AI? How do you come up with 500 ideas instead of 150 ideas and make them all really on brief and be able to leverage that to be able to come up with you know a strategy and a plan to test and, and learn and then you know refine our ideas that we want to go forward with? 
And so that's something that I think is really exciting um, uh, that we can do as a, as a brand team and partnership in conjunction with our, with our agency partners. I like the word you used there, augmentation, right? Really empowering people to do their creative work better. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it's taking any creative jobs. I think it's going to help. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it might take some, but really the focus is that more creative output will be generated. And mm -hmm. I think that's what's really exciting. Uh, you get that more outputs. Now, as we create more outputs, processes might change. How, how do you see this impact the current process and, and future processes? Yeah, I mean, processes... You know, in a, in a company such as, um, you know, J&J or AbbVie or what have you, is uh, there are a lot of processes, right, in Big Pharma. And so one of the main processes that we all have is, is our medical, legal, compliance, regulatory review. And, you know, those are great partners that I've worked with in the past. Um, but there is a large volume of assets that we want to be able to get to market, right? So if we're coming up with a, a launch of an indication or a launch of a new product, you know, we're up for probably 100 straight hours with these partners on Zooms during the pandemic to be able to prove all these assets to come to market. And so what if you could train a model um, that would really be able to learn what we've done for the last, you know, 500, 1,000, 10,000 assets over the last year um, that learns regulatory compliance, legal, and then can triage the output, right? And so if you can triage the output high, medium, low risk, then you leverage your, your team members at a much faster pace, right? And they, you can get um, assets approved much more quickly because we've built a model that is meaningful um, in terms of an internal process that can get us uh, output to our customers and our providers at a much more rapid pace. And so that's something I'm really excited about from just an internal process standpoint. No, I agree. I think what I'm expecting is that we're seeing a lot of Lego-like building blocks. And it, one AI is one piece of that. And then you have other tech. Your iPhone is a Lego block and then the Photoshop is another one. But people are as well, right? And, yeah. and people and tech and AI and multiple sources of generative AI and non-generative AI mm -hmm. um, will be connected and interconnected and rearranged constantly, constantly to create a complete new process. And I think mm -hmm. that's what's exciting. It's not just like we're enhancing and augmenting a current process. We're really will have the ability to change processes and have feedback loops that are much, much quicker, yeah. resulting in better output and more output. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and reaching your business goals and adding value through enhanced processes and new processes. So I think that's, that's what I'm really excited about. I see that the connection of multiple bits and pieces of AI throughout the journey to provide quicker feedback loops for decision-making, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you're talking about decision-making. And so I'm going I'm to go back to another example that is more externally facing. And so when you think of like our like a sales field, like mm -hmm. Salesforce, right? And so whether you have a, a Salesforce of, let's say, let's just say 600 sales reps, right? Um, like we have teams that sometimes have sales reps that have 20 year veterans, right? And then we have a team, the same team might have somebody that just joined um, pharmaceutical sales, maybe a, like less than a year ago and doesn't have any pharmaceutical sales experience. So how do you elevate the normal curve of sales reps? and get the tail to be just as high as the as the top part of it to understand the data they're looking at. Like what's a TRX, NBRX, NRX? How do you how do you ask the questions when you're going into a provider and be at the same level as a 20 year veteran to know what questions to ask? Now, obviously that'll take time on, on the rep standpoint, but at least we can elevate their game, we can elevate their questions. And I think to me, that's really compelling as a, as a, as a real world application that could happen pretty quickly because it can ingest, a generative AI can ingest all that data and then can develop these questions and comments for a rep before they go in and they pre-call plan when they're getting ready to go to a provider's office. 
Yeah, funny you say that. We recently acquired a company uh, called Conversation Health. Oh, I set so, you up there really well, didn't I? Didn't you? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, no, you're right. I think it's 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 not replacing reps. It's really helping them with data and AI to augment their games so that they're ready. And also being very much more precise in the way they talk to you know healthcare professionals and physicians. Yeah. Um, yeah, to win more there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing I think about, like when I'm... Um, like I'm currently in, in the sales uh, role right now at Abbey, and it's been uh, a wonderful learning experience. And when I think about like what we're trying to do in terms of coaching, like we, my job right now is to coach nine reps and try to make them the best possible versions of themselves, uh-huh. right? And so they're all very widely in terms of their skill sets, but they're all very good at what they do. But how do I find the best version of them? And so there are field reports that are done for the last several years on these individuals. There is um, performance reviews. There is their objective output that they've been able to provide. And so, again, this goes back to the idea of structured and unstructured data, right? So like field coaching reports, performance reports are all unstructured data. And then you have outputs that are structured in terms of like what their you know, goal attainment is, et cetera. And how do you take all this information? Because it takes some of the best teams to sit down and manage to look at all this information and be able to call kind of certain different insights, mm-hmm. right? But if you can leverage generative AI to say, Tell me what the top three reps in the country are doing. And it's taking across every single piece of data that it has and providing those top insights. That's meaningful as a sales leader and as a marketing leader, because then how do you take that and replicate that across the entire team? No, um, that makes sense. And again, I, I'm not going to try to solve problems <laughs> here, but we, we do have solutions there. And I think this is, it's feasible. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the exciting path forward. Um, so imagine you're same few few years down the road, generative AI and AI in general continues to be enhanced. And, and where how do you pick a good vendor? How do you pick a good partner? Who do you work with? What are your expectations from vendors, partners um, in this space? Yeah, I think like when when you're looking up, when you're, you're you're trying to find the best partner to work with that is at the forefront of the technology, right? Is writing white papers is kind of out there and being able to provide real world examples of how they're taking kind of the latest technology and being able to applying it in terms of what they're doing. And it's actually real. It's not theoretical. It's actually been done. Um, I think that's important, right? And, and if you're able to do that, that kind of brings you right up to the top. Now, when ChatGPT or Generative AI, it's so new. So you haven't been able to do that yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so then it's saying, okay, where have you been able to take it internally um, and been able to leverage it? And I know like Rad Science or Part of Real Chemistry has done a lot of interesting work with um, creative uh, mechanism of action videos, right? And yep. I've worked with you guys on that. And so that's been really compelling. No, I agree. I think the few things, like there's three big things that I, I would look for um, if I were you. It's that the company is problem focused first, uh, solving problem, adding business value, and not just theoretical AI, not just like white paper. I mean, those are important, um, but it's applying AI to actual business problems. True. So business focused. And then, Having the ability to integrate, I was just talking about building blocks uh, that fit into a process. Well, that's really hard. And so you want a company that can integrate within your current processes and help you build new flows uh, and have technology and people integrate with um, new up and coming um, tech. And then finally, you brought this up quite a few times already, but the governance aspect of it, which is challenging, right? The legal, the compliance, the transparency, um, making sure your vendor and your partner has best practices, thinks about equity. Um, and ethical decision-making throughout the process. Yeah. So we've touched on improvements, we've touched on processes, we've touched on where we are today and where we might be going in the next few years. Um, I think a big part of it too, and, and people might be interested about this, is 
is the people aspect of it. How do we hire and recruit people within your org or broader organizations with skills that will be relevant within an AI world? Yeah, it's, it's a fair question. I'm going to throw it back to you because I know I'm not the moderator, but anyway, um, what do you think are the skills? I mean, you're, you're the AI expert. So what are the specific skill sets that you'd be looking for to build out a team to be able to help develop um, these, these generative AI models that will help you from a copy standpoint and a creative standpoint? Yeah, I think it's hard to know exactly, but what I can say is there's a few things, the few skills that will not be in demand, and then there's a few things not to do, I think, in the future. <laughs> um, I think, and this has been a trend since the digital age, perhaps, right? But people have to be entrepreneurial, open-minded, curious. And I think every company has been hiring for that, for open-minded folks that are willing to try new things. But that will only be pushed forward more and more and more um, at a faster pace with new technology. And so people that, that aren't willing to embrace it are just going to fall off. So you really need that. I think the other piece is when you think of a large language model, there is mathematics, there is big data technology, but there's also linguistics, right? There's always, there's uh, an understanding of, of broader areas of sociology and, and philosophy. And so I actually think we're going to see expert in all these different fields, mm. biology, chemistry, physics, linguistics, um, et cetera, et cetera, get together much more so and think about very small, narrow problems as well as much bigger societal problems, as yeah. you mentioned earlier, equity in general. Um, so, so those are the things that, that I think we'll see a lot of, um, any tasks today, I, I do think that can be done in, in seconds are at risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then any tasks today that can, if, if your job is the exact same every hour and every day, if there's no change, if it's extremely repeatable, you're probably at risk. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can be augmented and you can tra transfer. There will be a whole lot of new jobs, right? People writing prompts, people reading outputs, people validating and classifying AI outputs to improve AI over time, right? So like new jobs, new roles, new skills will be developed as well within, within this journey. Yeah. Um, so it's not just a, but it's unclear today what the exact mix and bag of, of successful employees will look like. Um, but I think open-minded folks that are willing to, to take risks and work with others. Yeah, I totally agree with you, right? And I think when, we, when we're when we hiring today for folks that are on brand teams, sales teams, um, pair teams, et cetera, it is, it is exactly that. Open-minded, being willing to try new things, willing to take risks, because to be able to be successful with technologies such as generative AI in an organization, you need change agents, right? And as cliche as that sounds, we, it, it's still true. So you need people that are willing to be able to put their neck out in the line to be able to show the value of what technology or what these things are going to do and what they can bring to the organization. Um, and so if you hire that for that, the right profile, then like all tides rise. Agreed. Another thing to think about there is um, if it doesn't cost much or anything to fail at your job, right? So if we're trying to experiment and there is no cost at, at failing that experiment, I think that's where AI can really have a big impact. So usually there is a risk, right? Even if you put mm -hmm. out one tweet, there's a risk. It, it, a poor tweet can have a horrible impact on your reputation, but anywhere else throughout any job. But if there's very little cost at being wrong, that's, that's something AI can really come in because it can experiment and, and put out a bunch of outputs at no cost of reputational cost or process cost. And so, uh, so that's something to look out for as well. Yeah. The, the cost of being wrong, again, um, is a big part of this. Right. Um, Alrighty, Samir. So 
just for fun here, what, what are some of the most creative use cases that you've seen within generative AI? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I'd love to hear from the audience too at some point when we do the Q&A session, um, because it's it's so it's such an interesting space. I'd say one of the, what I stumbled upon, I actually was speaking to a friend recently, um, and the most uh, interesting case that I heard of, and, and I saw it on, on Amazon, is there's a, there's a physician, and I don't know if you guys have heard about this yet, but there's a physician who's, who uses ChatGPT, and he says 101 things of like asthma, or 101 things of diabetes, or 101 things of uh, Crohn's disease. And ChatGPT spits out like all this content. He's been able to take, he's a physician, so he's been able to take it, he edits it to make sure it's val validated for accuracy, and then he publishes it within 72 hours on Amazon. And so that's like literally over the last three weeks, I think. And so if you think about that, that opportunity, like, and the creator economy, like there's so much opportunity, right? I, I didn't even think about that as, a, as an output, but you know, there's so many different things that we haven't thought about yet that can really generate a lot of value um, for patients, for consumers. Um, and that's just one of the ones that I, I recently saw. No, that's, that's interesting. And, and it's a great idea. I think there's a few important parts of that too, right? One, he is a physician. He's right. not some, he's a credible, uh, yeah, he's not a Twitter yeah. employee that's, that's, you know, canceling <laughs> uh, stuff. So he's, he's a physician. He's reviewing the outputs. I think that's a, a massive piece too, right? You, he's not just outputting 101 things. He's mm -hmm. reviewing them. And then it's looking back at stuff that's being documented that exists already. He's not putting out new theories on X, Y, or Z. He's looking at the past right. yeah. and summarizing. Retrospectively. Yeah. Retrospectively summarizing things. That's a great application today. Um, yeah, we, we're working on some, um, image, like sequence to image, sequence to pixel stuff. That's really, really exciting. I think just creating new images. The big thing there is without existing imagery archives, it's hard to build new stuff that's relevant and accurate. And again, you talked about this earlier, but the accuracy of images are important in certain fields. And so, um, we have a team within well chemistry, rat science, and, and they've done a phenomenal job over the past 15 years at making and producing medical imaging. And those medical images can now be used and we can train our own models um, to produce new outputs. And that's super exciting uh, mm -hmm. to very quickly get quick sketches of new stuff and, and empower our clients that way. Yeah. And that goes back to what we talked about in terms of like, how do you provide impact and value to, to, uh, to a brand, like a brand team, right? Is being able to provide a wide variety of options in terms of what we're trying to accomplish to be able to tell a story. And so if you can use that to augment the, the creative team to be able to provide all that, all these different images, I mean, that's extremely valuable. Exactly. Like you're really augmented, you're getting to markets quicker and you're creating a bunch of outputs that can be reviewed. Uh, they're not perfect. The goal isn't for them to be perfect, but mm -hmm. it can be, it can really enhance the whole flow. <laughs> so, so what are you most excited about? about generative AI today. You're sitting here, we're talking about it, but what's what's most exciting for you? Yeah, I think, you know, this is more pie in the sky, right? In terms of uh, what we have, and we're, we're literally at the precipice, right? It's, it's. Uh, I know that, you know, ChatGPT is like a year and a half, two years old in terms of like when they built out their their model. Um, the new ChatGPT4 is coming out uh, on Tuesday, I think, which is more multimodal. And so you can leverage, and you can speak to this way more better than I can, but um, it'll, you can actually, across kind of across chat, across imagery. Um, and so there is so much opportunity that we can leverage um, just and in, in as people <laughs> to like be better educated, um, be better conversing, be, uh, be able to talk more about topics that we just don't know about and that we're interested and curious about. I mean, I think just using this as a tool to 
as, as self-education is actually really promising. Like yeah, I literally right. used it also for my daughter's science project like a week and a half ago. How do you explain like the science project to like a six-year-old? And it kind of goes through this process. And it's like, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's really great. You know, what I'm really excited about within healthcare is to think, I think of any healthcare professional, I mean, you know, if a pharmacist wants to spend more time with the patient explaining how they should take the drug and they want to spend less time on things that are insurance related or just a painful <laughs> little task. And same with the physician. We know the outcomes are so much better for patients for, with every additional minute they can spend with the physician. And I think this can yeah. really augment that journey. Yeah, I mean, there's already physicians doing it today, right? Like I have friends that are using it to write their prior auth letters or their medical necessity letters. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just scratching the surface, but there's so much opportunity. So much opportunity, lots of excitement. Um, well, Samir, thanks. This was fun. This is a good chat. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. So we, um, we're going to open it up for questions from the audience. Cool. Uh, can you put your hand up? We're going to give you a mic here. Yep. We cannot hear you yet. I, we can't hear you. <laughs> no, not yet. Almost there. Can you stand up and shout it? Clinical trials. How AI and RWE are changing clinical trials. Yeah. You want to touch on yeah, that? I'll, I'll take your, yeah. I, I, so a big challenge with clinical trials is, is recruitment um, as well as, as equity in general. And so I think uh, AI can help identify the right patients, identify HCPs that see those patients, uh, and then bring the right message um, to those specific healthcare professionals as well as um as patients. So, so it can have a big impact in recruitment and ensuring there's more people going to clinical trials. So that's one component. Um, real world data can then be used to track the, the efficacy of the clinical trial and people can actually stay at home and with all sorts of tools and AI um, engage in clinical trials in a much more um, modern way and less painful way on the patient. So I think um, the ability to recruit more as well as the ability to make it more um, easier to participate is, is where I see it having the biggest impact. Samir, do you have any thoughts on, on clinical trials in general? No, I think, I think like I was talking earlier about structured and unstructured data in terms of like the analysis. I think that there's a lot of opportunity leverage generative AI in that. And I'm not a uh, HUR real world evidence expert, but I would think that there's a lot of value in that space there. So to answer your question. Yeah, I mean, so when you think about, like, so speeding up the process requires us to be able to identify patients at a much higher clip and being able to then share with them the value of why being in a clinical trial, right? And so when I think about that in terms of how we can speed up the process, because like COVID's a good example. There are a lot of programs that we that have been written about um, across the industry that were slowed down, right? Because you just couldn't recruit people. People weren't willing to, to do anything. But if you were able to target patients with generative AI, the right patients, and send them messaging, whether it's through programmatic or, or whatever, you can be able to then maybe influence them to be able to come up and see why they should be in a clinical trial, right? So just think about like from a marketing lens. Um, and that's how I think you can shortcut that, is, is leveraging for targeting and then developing programmatic ad advertising.
Thank you. So I'm a practicing physician. I'm a kidney specialist and um, love ChatGPT. Um, you know, its utility as a physician to diagnose a patient is clearly not there. But the educating patients about their condition and, you know, tailoring it to the way that they think it's, it's getting there. You know, um, now thinking about the regulatory components of AI in healthcare in a broader spectrum is if you look at the FDA, the way they approve drugs, you have to prove no harm is being committed. Um, in medicine, two plus two is not four. In other words, an algorithm mathematically that can diagnose or treat perhaps is very difficult to achieve. Uh, and there are different specialists. You know, we have kidney, heart, sure. GI, uh, and the way you create those programs or the people that create it can lead to different results. I think it's it's potentially could be augmenting hum, you know human physician mind, but to replace. Do you have thoughts about is there possibly replacing physician roles? Yeah, I'll jump in real quick, and then you can take it. I, I don't think app, I don't think it would replace physicians at all. I think augmenting like your own personal Jarvis like uh, Iron Man and be able to like help make sure that everyone is thinking of everything at, at that time, right? I think uh, I was at a talk a couple of days ago with, um, well, like I said earlier, he was the co-founder co of uh, OpenAI, Greg Brock Brockton, I can't say his, forget his last name. Um, he mentioned uh, a, a quick story that his wife was feeling lower abdominal pain and they went to a doctor and they said, oh, okay, we ruled out appendicitis, um, but it's, uh, you need to take this uh, antibiotic. And so she was on this antibiotic, then they went home no, and didn't get better. I went to another doctor and that doctor said, oh, you need a stronger antibiotic and didn't, you know, didn't do anything. Came back, went to a third doctor and a fourth doctor still couldn't figure it out. The fourth doctor finally figured it out. And, and then he said, you know what, let me just ask OpenAI the model that he created about like, what is lower right abdominal pain and what could it be? The number two option, the answer that was, he, that he said was provided was an ovarian cyst rupture, right? But three doctors missed it, unfortunately. And so the fourth doctor was able to finally figure out what, what had happened. It was able to resolve the issue. And so to me, that is, that's mind blowing, right? If you can, if you can develop a, a generative model that's going to be able to provide that level of information that unfortunately three physicians missed. But if you have your own personal Jarvis that's thinking of everything at all the times at every moment, that's so powerful. It's not going to replace physicians, but it will augment and make everyone better. That's the goal, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's going to augment um, physicians exponentially. Um, I think certain tasks will be replaced but probably the most painful ones. Like your notes. Maybe you don't do your notes anymore, right? Um, <laughs> and then you just look at a macroeconomic level, there's going to be a shortage of physicians, right? So uh, we know that. So it's going to empower perhaps that aspect. Like a physician might be able to see more patients or provide quicker turnaround times on note-taking and all the other more dealing with insurance and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, augmentation is where I see it going to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, over there. Hi, so I'm a parent of a 15-year-old who just started. Can you bring the mic up a little bit? Thank you. Hey, thanks. I'm a parent of a 15-year-old who has Crohn's, and he started Humira in January. The doc did some testing, and it, um, he was taking it every other week, and then now he wants him to go to uh, one time a week. And insurance denied it. So... You know, you're talking about processes and whatnot, and I can understand how perhaps like in his office, the doctor's office, they could use generative AI to, you know, like what you were saying, 
he has an entire nursing staff that pretty much spends their time on these insurance. It's it's amazing, right? How how much time they they spend supporting the patients. So what I'm curious about the AI, the generative AI, and all the examples you gave are these assets that the agency can create, maybe to educate the the physicians. Let's kind of move that to inequity, right? And let's say the doctor isn't as innovative as some other doctors, or they don't have that nursing staff. So maybe just thoughts on sort of the ethical leveling of the playing field. While it has that potential, it also has the potential to create a bigger divide for the kind of the have and the accessibles versus not. Just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, I think I think you, you point out great things there. Um, there is an ethical component of having access to the data. There's an ethical component of training those models and data on it. Um, and um, it, it will be an interesting piece. And, and I brought this up just earlier. To me, that's where we'll see a lot of different experts in different fields that are outside that specific, not just physicians, but we will need to bring sociologists and philosophers and um, people that focus on ethics as well as computer science together to think through through these bigger problems. I do think in general, it will elevate more um, of these painful tasks of right, these nursing staffs uh, that are dealing with insurance, with paperwork. So it will elevate in general, but there might be indeed um, some gaps. But I do think there is going to be more good done there than, than bad decisions. Um, yeah, no, you have any, you covered it. All right. Hello? Um, hey, I, this is not really a question, more of a, you asked about like what other kind of innovative solutions do you see in healthcare? Um, I work in ventures, so I meet a lot of uh, startups. And one, one, I think one area that's gonna uh, have uh, immediate, not an immediate long-term impact is uh, uh, drug discovery. So, um, you know, uh, Today, uh, you know, proteins are comprised of amino acids and they fold into different shapes. Uh, and these, these models, um, they hallucinate, which is actually a bad thing in when you're doing like uh, language. But in, in, in this use case, it could be good because they can create actually different new proteins. And if you create new de novo proteins, then you can um, create medicine, uh, uh, basically have medicine that target uh, illnesses that would never have been able to solve before. So like kind of uh, protein folding and generating new medicine that will be a big area going forward. Yeah, totally, totally agree. You know, some super innovative uh, stuff going on there. It's, we didn't touch on it, but I do think in drug discovery, it already has a, a huge impact. Um, someone asked earlier on clinical trials and how we can speed up the process. A big piece that's, being, that's really gone much, much faster lately with COVID, with mRNA, and all new drugs, many new drugs, is that um, drug discovery piece. Uh, we know it, it can be done in, in days, really, weeks at most. Um, so the clinical trial is now the longest part versus it used to be analyzing all these sequences by hand, which extremely painful. So no, great, great point, great idea. Take one last question. All right, I'm the last question. Exciting. Um, yeah. You guys kind of mentioned a little bit about regulatory, and I was just curious on your thoughts as we engage more in like, for example, the doctors and the nurses using chat GPT or AI, where do we feel regulations will go? Because for example, let's say, you know, the offices are using chat GPT 
guilty to write a response as to why something shouldn't be denied. But let's say the insurance companies come back and use that same logic to, you know, fight that. Where do we feel like there's going to be a line in that ethics piece? And where do we feel like from a governance standpoint of them taking control and and what's coming next? Where do we think that's going? That's, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that, um, like, I know some clinicians are leveraging the tool to be able to write a medical necessity letter. And, and could that on the flip side happen with, um, with insurance companies? I think yes. But I think ultimately what we find uh, is if the, if the provider is, uh, is pretty adamant, uh, whether they use a chat GPT tool or not, like the, the, their patient will get the medication. Um, and, and, you know, it's just a, it's a part of a, a, an issue that's, you know, broadly a, a healthcare thing that we're, we're working through, but I don't know necessarily, um, anything specifically around regulations, uh, around it. Maybe you could speak to that. I think it's a really tough question. I don't think there is an answer today. I think we will have to go through some trial and error and some, right. Some people will unfortunately make bad decisions based on it. Uh, and we, as a society will then learn from that. Um, and, and kind of glad I don't need to make those decisions at a legal level, but yeah, there will need, there will need to be precedents and, and rules will need to be put into place. I think we're still at a very early stage where we're learning. Uh, and that's why I think we both think that augmentation is a solution where it helps make decisions, but doesn't make decisions directly, or at least today, and especially not in the healthcare field. Yeah. We're not trying to turn into Skynet here. So. Right, you will. Thanks, cool. everyone. Well, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it.